Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. From boosted parlays to live in-game odds on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. Blue Wire. It's exciting to win money. Back out to Allen. History final. Is there anything you don't gamble on? Uh, not really. Gambling gods, fickle bunch. Oh, yeah. So easily offended. Gambling's not your problem. You're just an idiot. Hey, we welcome you into Full Slate, a Blue Wire gambling podcast. My name is Greg Frank. You can find me on gambling Twitter at undercover Greg at G underscore Frank six for the rest of my sports takes and whatever else is on my mind as it is the month of March, which of course is the preeminent college basketball month on the calendar. And we're going to bring in a popular basketball voice on the podcast. We haven't heard him much this year, but happy to get Bill Christie back here on the podcast. You know him as Lucha Larry on gambling Twitter at Larry's locks Two. Bill, good to have you back, my man. How you doing? Good to be back, man. Best time of the year. Second Christmas right around the corner. Yeah, it really is. And, you know, before we get into our Saturday plays as we record late on a Friday night, what have you made of this season in college hoops? I mean, it just is one thing that I talked about last week with our guest from the Action Network, Tanner McGrath, was just how topsy-turvy it feels and the amount of inconsistency at the top of the poll I think Houston is now number one in the country for the third different occasion. Uh, and, and, you know, we've seen Purdue get to number one and lose. Uh, Alabama had a short stint at number one and then was an underdog in a game against Tennessee in February. So it just feels like now more than ever is a year in which whoever can get hot right now or is hot staying into championship week and March Madness it might end up cutting down the nets in Houston. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't recall a year where we had as much parity as we've had this season. Um, <clears throat> but being a fan, I, I I really love it. I love the fact that we have so many teams going up and down the top twenty-five rankings. It's it gets a little stagnant when you got those same two, three teams that are sitting up top for the majority portion of the year. Yeah, it's great when they finally take a loss, but um, I think the fact that you go into any game, you know, in the major conferences and Either team can knock off the other, whether it's on the road or at their home court. So I'm looking forward to the to the tournament, not even just the, the big dance, but all these conference tournaments that are kicking off. Because like you said, the teams that are going to get hot down the stretch here, they're going to be the teams that are going to make those deep runs in their conference tournaments and potentially could carry over into the NCAA tournament. So, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. And I've been loving what we've seen so far this year. Yeah, and I think conversely, while, again – it's open for somebody to get hot and make a run here. It's also a championship week coming up with all these conference tournaments where, you know, if you're a bubble team, you're maybe sweating bullets a little bit more than previous years, because I feel like the fact that there's been so much, you know, topsy turviness across the country might, if that carries over into conference tournaments, 
we might see a bid stealer or two, and and that's obviously problematic if you're on the bubble. So uh, certainly kind of an offshoot of that is, yeah, maybe somebody could come from, uh, you know, for a horse racing analogy, you know, five to ten lengths back in the final quarter mm-hmm. mile or something and make a run to win the thing. Uh, but on the, on the flip side, if you're a bubble team, it feels like maybe you could be in a little bit more of a precarious situation than years past just because of the fact that it may be a little harder to trust the teams at the top of their conferences. Yeah, 100%. Like, there's so many teams that are in the middle of the pack in the standings of their conference that could easily win their conference tournament. When you look at the Big Ten, I think it was maybe a week ago at one point, in the Big Ten, they had, I think, six teams that could have gone from third place all the way down to like 10th place, depending on what they did that week in their one game. So, you know, when you have that kind of movement within the conference, like you said, anything can happen once these conference tournaments come and you're right. Like there, there could be some bubble teams that are out there that are going to get knocked off because of these guys stealing some bids. But at the same time, you know, it can make an argument that a lot of these bubble teams are those teams that are, you know, in the middle of the pack and have the opportunity to make the run of the conference tournament to get in. So, yeah, absolutely. So perhaps uh, there are teams uh, like we're going to discuss a few of them here that are mm-hmm. entering the championship week on the bubble and play their way into the field as well. So uh, bottom line, uh, you don't want to leave your fate in the hands of other teams on the bubble and uh, try and leave no doubt if you're one of those bubble teams this time of year. But let's jump into the Saturday rotation now as we have a couple of consensus plays and a lot of action in some of the bigger games across the college basketball card for Saturday. So let's start with a consensus play. We'll start and end with a couple of consensus plays. And we're going to get started in the 12 noon Eastern time slate where we have the Texas A&M Aggies welcoming in the Alabama Crimson Tide in a game that is, I think, very interesting because obviously the Alabama program has been in the news for all the wrong reasons of late. And it's interesting I say that because on the basketball court, the Crimson Tide did lock up earlier this week the SEC regular season title. Um, But I'm going to be on Texas A&M here. It looks like this number opened right around a pick You can get it at uh, plus one, I believe, at DraftKings. So certainly some, uh, you know, a line, while A&M is ranked, a line that you would think if Alabama had – been playing a little bit more buttoned up and been kind of not blocking out blocking out the distractions a little bit better you'd expect this line to be a little bit longer so I think that it's certainly an indicator that there's not much faith right now on behalf of odds makers in Alabama and I agree because if you just look at the way Alabama has played amidst all the Brandon Miller stuff that's been going on they survive against South Carolina and ironically enough Brandon Miller's the one that plays really well in that game and nobody else really shows up Uh, they're down by, I think it was nine points at halftime last Saturday against Arkansas and they need a big second half. But then even after the game, yeah, they have a big second half and win no cover. And after the game last week, everybody's talking about the stop and frisk stupid decision that they made with the, you know, introduction. So it's not even about the fact that they beat an Arkansas team that's going to be in the NCAA tournament. And then earlier this week, they also were relatively lifeless against Auburn and Auburn's a bubble team. 
And, mm-hmm. you know, if you're a number one seed, if you're a team that is a national championship contender, you'd like to think you'd be able to bury them like we saw last night with UCLA, who may end up a number one seed against the bubble team in Arizona State. UCLA ran ran away with things, winning by double digits. So I just don't like the form with Alabama. I think that the locker room is definitely a little fractured. And I think it's something we talk about with pro teams and, and just focus and motivation and, and you know, off the field stuff. In college, I think the concern is amplified a little bit more. So it, it is primarily a fade of Alabama. Now, actually, as I looked, it looks like some books are posting A&M as a short favorite of minus one in the hook. So uh, I think regardless, I, I would play it up to minus three for Texas A&M. A&M's having a nice season. And, you know, they got a couple of nice guards. Buzz Williams, in I think his fourth season there, appears to be headed to the tournament for the first time with the Aggies. So... There are some things to like about Texas A&M, but it's mostly just a fate of an Alabama team that I think is not going to end up on the one line come Selection Sunday and may be ripe for an upset the first weekend of the NCAA tournament. Yeah, I know we spoke a little bit uh, last week when I told you about, you know, how my feelings were going with, with the tie here. Like, I was giving Nato's the benefit of the doubt all the way up until the latest issue. And to hear analysts say, Oh well, you know he's, he's looking at last minute adjustments and drawing up. You're not drawing up plays during during the introductions, you know. Like you're you're standing there waiting to get the game started. Um, so what what has been going on there off the court and now that has come onto the court it has been an absolute nightmare. And it's obviously a distraction because, like you said, they've been playing some poor basketball as of late. And you know I think that if it wasn't for this issue. You know, people will be talking more about the lack of play. You know, it's not so much, oh, you know, what they're struggling here and there against these teams. It's more about Brandon Miller and what's been going on there. But they're running into a Texas A&M team who who has really played up to their competition this year. Look at they, their last teams that they played that were ranked. They beat Tennessee at home when they were, when they were 11, 68-63. They went on the road when Auburn was ranked 15th. They beat them by 16 on the road. They beat Missouri when they were ranked 20th, 82 to 64. So they get up for some of these big games. And the fact that Bam has struggled, like we've been talking about, and not just the last three games, but on the road, they're one and four against the spread of their last five road games. And A&M overall, they're seven and one against the spread of their last eight. So that's good for this play. Um, and I think the two keys to it are going to be two keys that I think are always important in, in these college basketball games and, and turnover percentage and offensive rebound percentage. And both edges are going to Texas A&M. Um, the turnover percentage is they're 47th in the country at forcing turnovers. Alabama has been abysmal. They're ranked 232nd in the country and handle on the ball. So they're going to be turning the ball over in this one a lot, especially with it being on the road. And with, you know, the Aggies being ranked eighth in the country, hitting the offensive glass, I think that's going to be playing a big part in this one because, like we said, the Tide have been struggling, but on those last three games, they've been doing a decent job on the offensive glass, keeping opponents off of it. They're not going to be able to do that here against the Aggies. So I love that you're back in the Aggies with me. It makes me even more confident in the play. And I agree with you. I think that they're going to be a team that might miss out on a, on a one seed and potentially could be a first weekend team being eliminated. Yeah, it just doesn't feel like Alabama is trending in the right direction. And A&M, again, as we said, uh, feels like Buzz has them going in the right direction. And whether they make a deep tourney run or not, there's definitely been some progress made there in College Station. Let's stay in the SEC. I want to go to another disappointing – well, 
I guess you can't. It's hard to call Alabama disappointing yet. I mean, they still won the SEC regular season mm-hmm. title, but a disappointing SEC team this year. And and there have been several blue bloods that have been disappointments. And uh, I think let's talk about Kentucky and mm-hmm. the Wildcats just finally got back into the top 25, uh, and then they lose to Vanderbilt earlier this week. And, you know, Jerry Stackhouse has had a few moments this year with Vandy, but nonetheless, that's obviously not a game that Kentucky has any business losing. And I just think that we've maybe seen enough now, at least I have, of Kentucky to say that I just don't think that the Blue or the, the Blue Cats, the Wildcats are <laughs> a very good team. And, you know, it's they haven't shown enough consistency for me to believe that they're a layup bet here catching five uh, against Arkansas. And on the flip side, Arkansas has underachieved. If you remember, there was a lot of buzz about Musselman bringing in all those McDonald's All-Americans at the beginning of the season. But there's something about Musselman this time of year that I like. I think his teams really start going back to when he was at Nevada. His teams really start to find a little bit of a groove in March. And we saw this last year. They got to the regional final and lost to Duke. Uh, and, and they were a little higher up on the seed chart. I think they were a three seed last year. But I, I think the point I'm making is oftentimes, and I think more so in a negative light, we talk about coaches that can't win this time of year. Uh, Rick Barnes obviously gets a lot of shit for it. Purdue's another program that, you know, gets put through the ringer a lot over not being able to get the job done in March. I, I, I think there's a positive reputation in that light for Musselman and the fact that they went into Tuscaloosa and, and played as good as they did in the first half last week, uh, you know, still shows me something, even though they let the game get away in the second half. So I, I just think if you're asking me which one of these teams is more likely to kind of salvage its season, I'm going to go with the Hogs. And I think that, you know, having to give up only five here actually isn't that bad. And and they're coming off of kind of an embarrassing loss in Knoxville against Tennessee. So I, I think they get up for this one in a big way and look to send a little bit of a message. I like Arkansas here. I know you don't have a play on it, but um, I just think Kentucky has been more of a disappointment and I don't trust Kentucky as much to find some late life in its season the way I do Arkansas. Yeah. Like you said, I don't have a play, but I would definitely be where you're going here. I was sort of kind of getting back on the Kentucky train, you know, when they rattled off the four wins in a row and knocking off Tennessee. Um, I guess it was two weeks ago, but they just seem they're like the opposite of uh, of A and M, right? Like they don't play to the level of the competition. They play down, and and the loss to Vanderbilt exposed that. The loss to Georgia prior to that little four game win streak that proved it. Um, they lost to South Carolina earlier this year, um, so. I'm with you. Like they, they, they look like they're going to get their stuff together and then they take another really bad loss. So I, I can't trust them. Um, and the fact that they're catching five there, I, I got a feeling like a lot of people are going to be jumping on them, looking to bounce back from that Vanderbilt loss. And you're going to be catching points here against a team who's lost. I think, what did they lose? Arkansas, they lost like four of their last six or something like that. Yeah. Four of their last six. But you know, like you mentioned, an embarrassing loss to Tennessee, but Tennessee's a very strong team. And that was after a very emotional loss to number two Alabama, right? Like they had them on the ropes 
a chance to beat them. They only lose Alabama by three. So, yeah, I think that you're right. I think Musselman has these guys trending in the right direction at this point in the season. And if I had to back a team here, I would I would back them and lay the points as well. Okay, let's get out of the SEC now and go to the Big Ten, where you're looking at a game in East Lansing. And I'll be honest, I was eyeing this one up too. Um, so I'll let you start though. As Michigan State is a touchdown favorite against Ohio State, the Spartans are laying seven. Uh, and just get into why you like to play, and then I'll, I'll share some of my own thoughts. Uh, well, to make it simple, Ohio State has just been absolutely abysmal on the road. Although with 0-8, their last eight road games against teams with winning records. Uh, and then even overall against the spread, they're 3-14 and in their last 17 this year. They're, they're one of the worst teams against the spread uh, at this point, like, you know, from the second half of the season on. Um, so I can't trust them at all, especially on the road and especially against a team being coached by Tom Izzo, who we all know. This is the time of year you mentioned how Musselman gets teams ready. I mean, you, there could be nobody better than Izzo gets teams ready at this point in the season. And and they're playing well. They're 7-1 and their last eight at home, 12-4 and four, uh, against the spread. It's been the favorite of team between these two, which, like you mentioned, Michigan State is. Um, and they do it from deep this year, man. Like, they're ranked fourth in the country in three-point percentage. They're almost 40% from deep as a team. Um, while Ohio State, they defend it okay. I think they're ranked 65th, which is not that impressive. Um, and then just overall, offensively, Michigan State's ranked 47th in adjusted, adjusted offensive efficiency. The Buckeyes, they're outside the top 100 defensively. Um, I think Michigan State has enough to get the job done here at home, um, mainly just due to the fact that Ohio State just doesn't seem to be the same team on the road they are at home. So that's why I'm going to be back in Sparty in this one. Yeah, I, I, I mean, you highlighted a lot of it, and I do, I, I have picked up on their uh, prowess from behind the three-point line, and I, I really like the guard uh, Tyson Walker. And, uh, you know, the the big guy, Joey Hauser, can stretch the floor and, uh, you know, stroke it as well. So definitely a quality outside shooting team. Again, like you said, maybe no coach better at making sure his team's peak this time of year than Tom Izzo. And again, much like uh, Arkansas in terms of, you know, seed line, you're probably talking about Michigan State as a six or a seven. But I I don't even think it necessarily matters. I mean, we saw Michigan State last year as a seven uh, take Duke right down to the wire in the round of 32 and nearly knock them off. So I definitely think Michigan State uh, doesn't really care over the years. Izzo just finds a way to get the most out of his team. And and, and they're at the very least a threat to get to the Sweet 16 seemingly every March. And, uh, you know, a lot also a a lot of reasons why I was intrigued by the Michigan State side while while I'm not going to play it are what you're saying about Ohio State. I was actually on Ohio State earlier in the week. I saw that was a pretty trappy line against Maryland, and, you know, they were at home. Uh, To your point, home road splits with bad teams, I think especially, are things you want to look at because, you know, if you're bad – at home, maybe the home crowd keeps you in it, keeps you motivated and, and, and gets the best out of a bad team on any given night. But on the road, if you get a little deflated early, uh, the air can come out of the balloon fast. And all of a sudden laying seven points doesn't really seem like that much. So, um, you know, I, I think that Ohio State winning against Maryland the way it did it kind of speaks to the 
you wanting wanting to fade them now. And also, I was on Ohio State, uh, the home game previously against Illinois, which they won by mm-hmm. double digits. So there's an element of kind of outlier nature to back-to-back double-digit conference wins against Illinois and Maryland that makes me think, okay, wait a second. Like, this is still a bad team this year. You should want to fade Ohio State. This is a good spot to do it. Any final words here? No, go Sparty. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's keep things moving and go to the Big 12, where uh, I'm just going to – this is kind of a system play for me. I mean, I'm going to hop on West Virginia uh, for a unit in Morgantown at home against Kansas State. It's the uh, unranked favorite over the ranked team. Uh, Kansas State's been a good story this year. Jerome Tang will be in the running for the National Coach of the Year. Uh, but we, when we talk about home road splits – West Virginia, 12 and four straight up in uh, overall, excuse me, at home, three and eight this year overall on the road. So, you know, this game being at home, West Virginia, not likely not headed to the NCAA tournament. Uh, Another thing that we can, if if you want to, I don't, I mean, it's kind of a generic angle this time of year, but senior day, final home games, things like that. For a mm-hmm. program like West Virginia, it might carry a little bit more weight. And again, really, there's not a whole lot else to it other than it's just a system I like to play. The unranked favorite over the ranked team. Uh, and, you know, Kansas State, too, uh, let, let's see how they kind of handle, how they carry itself here down the stretch. I mean, it's been a, a, a very strong season. I mentioned Jerome Tang as a possible coach of the year. Uh, but, you know, when you look at the way Kansas State's been playing recently, to kind of add fuel to the fire of it, this line just kind of not making sense and me wanting to play it. Uh, four straight wins for the Wildcats, uh, most recently against Oklahoma at home, but then they go to Stillwater, bubble team Oklahoma State, and they win that game in a tough environment. They beat Baylor by double digits. They beat, at the time, a ranked Iowa State team at home, and yet here they are still as a four-point underdog. It feels like there's something up with this line. I'll also add that about a month ago, they went to Norman uh, and lost by 14. So, again, home road splits. Uh, I, I like the Mountaineers minus four. Yeah, I like I like where you're going with this a lot. Um, you mentioned good stories, too. You can't forget Keontae Johnson, what, what he's been doing this season. Sure. After, you know, I, I can still – it's going to be one of those moments I'll probably never forget watching that game live and seeing him go down when he was at Florida. Um, to see him back on the court, not only back on the court, but, you know, he's up there for – probably for Big 12 player of the year um, in that conversation because he's leading this team ranked 11th. But, yeah, a ranked team almost in the top 10 on the road on senior day. Like you said, I think not only does it hold more weight with the program being what they are in West Virginia, but the fact that this this is a chance to upset a monster team at home too. So I think that plays a factor in it as well. Um, I'm curious to see what the public does leading into the game tomorrow to see how heavy they get on Kansas State because I feel like they Mm -hmm. would be on them catching those points. And I think if I see that pick up a little bit, I might jump on there with you. So um, don't be surprised if I'm if I'm texting a little bit later tomorrow, (laughs) letting you know I'm backing it with you. All right, let's go to the Big East where we're both Philly area guys and it's been a rough year for the Big Five as it looks like the uh, City Six, if we want to include Drexel, obviously, is going to get shut out from the NCAA tournament barring a bid stealer out of one of those leagues. And hey, maybe the bid stealer, ironically enough, is Villanova as the Wildcats are starting to play better. Justin Moore healthy obviously is a world of a difference maker for now Kyle Neptune's squad 
And, you know, we talk about trappy lines from an old Big East team in West Virginia to the new Big East here with Villanova only catching two at home against a Connecticut team that's in the top 15. Uh, I imagine that all of that kind of factors into why you like the Cats here. Oh, 100%. I've been telling people for the last maybe week and a half, um, a couple of my buddies are seeing Hall grads and they're not having the best season of the season of either, but I've been telling them for the last week, you, you don't want to see the cats in New York. You do not want to see this team in the big East tournament. If you're a team that's looking to make a push to get to the tournament, because like you mentioned, Justin Moore coming back, Kim Whitmore has seemed to come into his own. And I gotta be honest. I think that when it's all said and done, Eric Dixon is going to be potentially the best big man that this program has had in the last, I don't know, 25 years. And that's saying a lot because there's been some really, really good big men that have come through. Um, but just the leap that he's taken from freshman year to this year is is incredible to me. So I think he's kind of benefited from the fact that Moore and Whitmore have been out and they've kind of leaned on him a little bit more. Um, he's shown that he can stretch the floor a little bit. He's actually been able to knock down some some deep balls, um, w- which is going to benefit them. But like like you mentioned, Justin Moore being back, Cam Whitmore coming into his own. They're a totally different team from when they went out there and played UConn earlier this season on the road. Uh, Whitmore did play, but I mean, it was in a limited role. Moore was out. They only lost by eight. And this UConn team has been, you talk, UConn, this team literally is a microcosm of what the entire college basketball season has been. Like they've been, I don't know how high they've been ranked. Were they ranked in the top five at one point? Uh, yeah, they they were very highly ranked early in the season, non-conference, beginning of league play. Yeah, might have been as high as the top five. Yeah, and they completely fall off, and you're like sort of writing them off, and then all of a sudden they write off some wins. So I don't trust them at all. Um, and I got a feeling they're going to be looking a little bit ahead to the to the conference tournament, looking over these Wildcats a bit. Um, but the big thing here is with it being such a close line, I'm playing the team that shoots the best from the free throw line, and the Cats are the best team in the country when it comes to that. They're shooting almost 83% from the foul line. Um, and these Huskies have a really, really tough time keeping teams off the line. They're ranked 333rd in the country in free throw attempts to field goal attempts. So if Villanova can get to the line, it's almost a guaranteed two points almost every single time. And in the late game, close game where it might come down to that, I have to back the Cats in that one. All right, I want to stay in the Big East and go to Milwaukee, where the Marquette Golden Eagles have been one of the better stories in college basketball. Shaka Smart is back and better than ever as Marquette. I I heard this this week, Bill, and I couldn't believe it. First ever outright regular season title in the Big East. Um, And before I get into my handicap here, I mean, I still think Shaka is a really good coach. I think he's one of the better coaches in the sport that hasn't won a national championship. And I just don't think that, you know, I I think we were talking off the air. I live down in Houston now and I work at a radio network with a couple of Longhorns and, you know, he's obviously not well liked by them, but I I just, I don't, I don't know that it was the right fit for him. I mean, he's actually from the Wisconsin area and uh, you know, now he's back in an area that obviously he grew up in. Uh, but also when you look at prior to getting to Texas, he, you know, was at VCU. He had been an assistant mm-hmm. at Clemson in Florida. Like it just, I get it. Like it's Texas. Everything's bigger in Texas. They have a lot of money in the basketball program too. It just didn't feel like the right fit for him. And, and now he just feels like he's kind of literally at home and 
figuratively at home as well as uh, he's got Marquette back-to-back years in the NCAA tournament. It'll be this year. And as I said, that first Big East regular season title. So, uh, you know, and l- l- listen, he underachieved at Texas, but he still kind of made, made the tournament every year. And I mean, the team that lost to Abilene was a three seed and probably should have made a nice run. And, and yeah, they choked and that's college basketball. But uh, the point I wanted to make was just, uh, I think he's still a really good coach. I a hundred percent agree with you. I think it's, you mentioned he's, He's at Marquette kind of at home now. It, it does seem to be a good fit. The hindsight's 2020. They just won the, the Big East regular season, so it's easy to say that. But, you know, when he was at VCO, it was more like the program was molded around his personality, whereas I feel like at Texas, it was never going to be able to be about that. Like you said, everything's bigger in Texas. You know, the program is already a national powerhouse, so to speak. And when he went there, it wasn't about his identity. It was about how he was going to match with Texas identity. He comes to Marquette. This team really didn't have an identity coming into it. Um, he kind of put a stamp on it. And I got to tell you, I absolutely love the kid, Tyler Cole. Like, I don't know if you watched the last game, um, but he's only averaging 12 points and almost eight assists a game. But when you look back at it, I mean, he struggled in the beginning of the season where he had a ton of games where he scored, you know, between five and eight points. But down the stretch, he's had 24, 20, 13, 17, 14, 15, 18, 22, 21 points. And dishing out dimes, he's had 10, 6, 8, 8, 5, 6, 14, 10. I mean, this kid is a difference maker, and he seems to only be getting better as the season has gone on. And he's even got a little bit of, like, Jason Williams, you know, the old white chocolate guy played for Sacramento. Like, when he makes his little shifty moves to the basket, just the way he he moves – is like sort of reminiscent of it to me. He's fun to watch. The team's fun to watch. And I was just as shocked as you were to hear that, that was their first regular season title. You think back at the time when they had Dwayne Wade um, there, and they've had some other teams in the past that have been strong, but to never win the, the conference outright in the regular season, I was shocked by that. Having said all of that, I actually think it's a good spot to fade the Golden Eagles here for a lot of those reasons. I mean, what is the motivation here for margin? Maybe they're just that much better. And again, senior day at home, yada, yada, yada. Uh, But I I actually think the opponent here, St. John's, has been one of the bigger underachievers in the Big East. And maybe there's uh, kind of a uh, last dance element here for the Johnnies where it, it, it seems like there's a lot of calls in Queens and New York from Mike Anderson's head. And I'm not sure he's going to make it to next season with the Red Storm. Uh, But hey, maybe there's like a little bit more motivation for them to uh, get up for their coach and, you know, at least keep this game competitive. Uh, These teams that aren't heading to the NCAA tournament, uh, you know, there's more of an urgency now at the end of the regular season and into their conference tournaments to at least try and find one last spurt uh, to perhaps make a little bit of noise and flirt with stealing a bid uh and that's where st john's is at and so uh i i just feel that there's a stronger motivational play and i'm getting 12 points so i like the johnnies on the road uh, i think it is just kind of a a letdown spot of sorts for marquette mm-hmm. so i'm going to go ahead and take st john's hey now. mike anderson anderson the mike tomlin of college basketball right has never had a losing record in his career and he said, oh, wow, I did not know season. that. That's, that's yeah. interesting. I'm looking at it now because I'm like, it was in the back of my head. I'm looking at it now. Yeah, he has not had, when he was at Arkansas in 2015-16, they finished 16-16. and 16. That was, and in Missouri one year, he finished 16-16. and 16. He has not had a losing record in his coaching career. 
Wow. Okay. Well, 17 and 14. Now they'll survive that this year at St. John's, but still, uh, I think uh, definitely 17 and 13, excuse me, uh, heading into this game. Uh, let's go to the ACC where I have a plan in the a- ACC, as do you. And uh, you're going to go to Syracuse, New York, where the Wake Forest Demon Deacons and Syracuse Orange are at about a pick at most shops. Uh, you're on the Demon Deacons here. I, could this be, and I, I realize you're on the road team here, but might we be seeing the final game Jim Beheim coaches at the Carrier Dome? I sure hope so, because oh, I'm sick of the guy. Man, I was going to say, don't get my hopes up, Greg. Don't get my hopes up. But as you're saying, in the back of my mind, I can hear Beheim in his old cratchety voice. I'll retire whenever I want to. Like, shut up. Just get out of here. Let somebody else get a chance. Get, let a younger guy get an opportunity, because, my goodness, I'm so tired of seeing his miserable face. Um, and that's kind of what leads me to my play here. Uh, I think I think Wake's in a good spot being on the road. Syracuse really looks like they've kind of just given up on the season. They had a really, really nice win over NC State uh, at, at home in the beginning of February, but they've dropped four straight since. But they played a, de- a good Duke team, a decent Clemson team, a decent Pittsburgh team. But, I mean, they lost by 22, by 18, by 17, and then – they just played Georgia Tech at home on Tuesday, and they got routed by 20. Uh, it just doesn't seem like there's any motivation there whatsoever. Um, and Wake Forest hasn't been terrible. They're ranked 38th um, in offensive adjusted efficiency, uh, 301st in offensive rebound percentage for Syracuse. That's that's going to be a big-time issue for them. Um, the, the Deacons are going to be able to get on the offensive glass against these guys. They play that simple zone. A missed shot is almost like a layup at times against that. So I want to be back in the Deacons here on the road. Um, but in the end, it's really more of a fate on Syracuse than anything. Yeah, I mean, Syracuse has been pretty irrelevant in, in recent years. And uh, I definitely admittedly haven't really followed either program that much. But it's been a uh, a downward trend of late for a once proud Syracuse program. So we'll see what happens. With Bayheim and the future there. Uh, I mentioned I have a play in the ACC as well. And I want to go down to South Florida where I'm going to be looking at a road team in the league as well. I'll take the Pitt Panthers catching six in the hook against the Miami Hurricanes. One of the kind of under the radar good stories in college basketball has been Jeff Capel's job that he's done. Fifth season now at uh, Pitt. And, and you'll remember... This is, you know, a guy that obviously has been in a lot of high major programs. He recruited Blake Griffin to Oklahoma, and you know, he was uh, basically the front man on Zion Williamson and R.J. Barrett to Duke when uh, he was on K staff um, and, and coached at VCU prior to Anthony Grant and Shaka Smart coaching there. So um, he, he's got a little bit of a resume, and he finally has Pitt going uh, in the right direction. It's just a, it's a feel good story I, that I want to bet on here. I think if Pitt wins. They clinch at least a share of the ACC regular season title. As I mentioned, it's Cable's fifth year there. And he it was really a long build for him, given the fact that a lot of the old Big East momentum and Jamie Dixon uh, you know, job that he had done there, that air was completely out of the balloon. So I just think that the Pitt program is finally at a place it can be proud of again. And given that they can clinch a share of the uh, regular season title against Miami, uh, I, I'm going to be interested in taking those six and a half points and I mean Miami you could argue yeah it maybe they're a little hungry coming off of a 
just a putrid loss at home to Florida State when they're up by 25 and they lose the game. They have had a week to stew on it, uh, but that is not a team I want to give six and a half with right now. Uh, they won a close game against Va Tech prior to that Virginia Tech, or excuse me, that Florida State loss. So, uh, you know, not creating significant margin there. One at home against Wake by nine prior to that on the road against North Carolina by eight. Go back before that. They survive by not, excuse me, by eight against putrid Louisville at home. So there's not a lot of margin here in these Miami wins is kind of what I'm hinting at. You'd have to go all the way back to February. The, when was it now this Duke game, February the 6th. So about a month ago to when they had a significant margin of victory 81 to 59 against Duke so uh, recent form for me kind of suggests Miami sliding by uh and you know I I just think that Pitt's been an under under the radar good story that I want to bet on catching six in the hook I'll take the Panthers yeah I wish you all the luck I just do worry about the bounce back spot and the fact that they lost to Pitt earlier and that was the first law or the last loss before that big win streak they went on so It'll be interesting to watch, but I agree with you on all your points of Pitt. I feel very happy for Capel. I mean, I feel like he got kind of the short end of the stick with not being able to stick around long enough or, I guess, Coach K not leaving fast enough in order for him to take over that job because it did seem like he was the man in waiting. Um, so to see him be able to succeed in the first year since Coach K has been uh, off the national radar. So yeah, interesting it, symmetry nice. there. It is. Yeah. It is. It's been yeah. – hey, all right, who knows? Good. Maybe they'll meet up in the, in the conference tournament. That will be an interesting story. Oh, sure. Yeah, I didn't even think of that. But yeah, of course, Pitt now in the ACC. All right, let's go to the Pac-12. A couple plays in the Pac-12 before we get to our consensus play to wrap things up. Uh, and, uh, Bill, I think this is the game of the uh, – it's funny, our consensus play uh, is also on one of the marquee games of the mm-hmm. card on Saturday. But I'm fascinated by this UCLA and – Arizona matchup I think that um, it's unfortunate that and I forgot about this today on my radio show we had a UCLA guy on and uh, I talked about how oh, this should be a lot of fun uh, with these two programs and Tommy Lloyd and Mick Cronin both having kind of taken over around the same time at Arizona and UCLA respectively and you know blue bloods kind of being brought back to where they belong in the sport and then the guest reminded me well you know let's hope they can keep it going because ucla is of course headed to the big 10 and i was like yeah that's a good point i'd like to see this rivalry stay play it kind of feels like syracuse and georgetown when um you know syracuse went to the acc uh and georgetown of course stayed in the big east so i'd like to see this rivalry continue but it just feels like both of these programs are in a very healthy spot um you're going to back the bruins here and i just want to say i if the NCAA tournament started today. UCLA is probably my pick to win the whole thing. I think they have a great blend of veteran leadership. Jaime Jaquez is one of the best players in the country, probably the Pac-12 player of the year. Uh, and Tiger Campbell's been Tiger Campbell's been there, done that. Um, and, and they have some young players as well that are an integral part of their rotation. So they're kind of blending things well in terms of you know the different ages of the key players in their lineup uh and you know and so i i think that there's a lot of ingredients there cronin's in his fourth year now uh, got to a final four two years ago sweet 16 last year so this group has won big games in march um i i like where the bruins are trending uh and you know I, i'm sure you'll get into it but i'll be fascinated into how they guard the two bigs uh tubelas and balo for arizona because those guys can really eat you up in the paint yeah and and i'm with you like they're they kind of fit the mold. Like you, you brought up a lot of good points, but also the fact that majority of the time 
teams that win the national championship are teams that have <clears throat> like a top, I think, a top ten offense in adjusted efficiency and like a top twenty-five in defensive, and they're right there. They're second in uh, in defense. They're twenty-second in offense, so they're right around those numbers. Um, and I think that's going to play a big part in this game. Arizona does match up well, pretty well with these guys. Um, but I think the, the issue they're going to run into is the fact that UCLA can really, really turn up the heat on defense. They're ranked seventh in the country in turnover percentage defensively. Arizona struggles. Uh, they're 185th in the country. That's going to be an issue. It's another revenge spot game here. UCLA lost their initial game 58-52. to 52. So defensively, UCLA played, played well. Uh, offensively, they did not. They shot 20% from deep, 55% from the foul line and only 31% overall from the field. Um, Bailey and Singleton combined for a whopping zero points in that first contest. Combined, they're averaging 19 points per game. Uh, so I don't think that's going to happen again. They're not going to lay a goose egg. UCLA is not going to shoot that poor from the field again. Um, and I got I like the way UCLA's been playing recently. They're 5-2 and two the last seven home games against the spread. They're 8-3-1 and one against the spread. Their last 12 versus team with winning percentages above 60%, which obviously Arizona is. Um, and recently within this meeting between Arizona and UCLA, you mentioned it's, it's a great rivalry, um, but the road teams are 0-5 against the spread the last five meetings. So all that reasons, I'm going to be back in UCLA in this one. Um, and, and I think the line's kind of indicative too, right? Like you can put this game almost at a pick right? Like, and you wouldn't be surprised. But the fact they're almost, you know, a full hand favorite here, it, it's kind of telling to me. That's why I'm going to be back in the faves here at home. Yeah, no, a lot of agreement for me there on that play on the Bruins again. I'm really drinking the Kool-Aid. I think UCLA is back, and, uh, you know, it's interesting how uh, we talked about Shaka maybe not being the best fit at Texas. I think there were probably some questions about Cronin going there. He, you know, Cincinnati was his alma mater. He coached at Murray State before that. So, you know, Midwest, you know, area ties for the most part going out to Southern California. But, gosh, he has hit it out of the park there and certainly looks to be headed for another deep run in March. Uh, speaking of deep runs in March, a couple teams just trying to get into the field in the Pac-12, and that's where I'm looking at uh, for a play of mine. And I'm going to look at Arizona State catching five against USC. Uh, basically, what this comes down to for me is, I, I, I especially getting more than one possession here, I was always going to want to take points in this game because of how massive of a bubble game this is. I think it probably goes down to the wire. And I, I think also th there could be an element of, you know, nervous tension, perhaps for both teams. But I think that the you know favorite when you get north of three, you start to wonder about if uh, the favorite is able to kind of play consistently enough down the stretch to cover uh, at laying five. And, and with, with, with UCLA, excuse me, with USC, um, you know, they lost last night to Arizona and Arizona state, by the way, albeit it was a crazy shot, but they, they beat Arizona on the road. So I, I kind of like that angle here. And it, it really is difficult. I'm not really sure. Like Tanner McGrath, our guest last week really didn't like USC. We were both on Utah as a home dog last week and Utah got into that game in the second half and gave SC a little bit of a scare. Uh, but it's really hard to gauge where some of these other Pac-12 teams are because it's just not a very good league after Arizona and UCLA. And, um, you know, I, again, I wanted to take points in this game regardless. Uh, Arizona State coming off of a loss against UCLA really 
again, both these teams kind of need the game. Prior to that game against UCLA, though, Arizona State did have, as I said, the Arizona win. They beat Utah. Uh, and and they had a relatively strong month of February. So I, I think that it's a slight lean for me, enough of a lean, to take Arizona State in what I just expect to be a one-possession game between two teams that desperately need it. Yeah, I would lean your way as well there for all the reasons you said. I was unfortunately back in USC at home last night. I uh, thought I saw something with the short number there and kind of came yeah. back to bite me. But um Hey, maybe this is the spot where they get done, but I'll be staying off of it and just wishing you luck. Sure. All right, let's wrap up in the Big 12, where uh, we talked about UCLA going to the Big 10. Well, pretty pretty soon we're going to have Texas in the SEC, so we'll see if Texas retains any of its Big 12 rivals, uh, and one of them being the Kansas Jayhawks. And here is Texas. Uh, anytime we see, again, we talked about unranked favorites, over ranked teams. Well, here we have number nine, Texas length three in the hook. It appears against Kansas. Um, and this is going to be a consensus play for both of us on the Longhorns at home. Uh, much. There's some similarities here for me between how I handicap Kansas tomorrow and how I handicap Marquette in terms of motivation and, uh, you know, not as ton on the line. I mean, yes, maybe Kansas. I, I still think Kansas, even if they lose this game, but when, if they win the big 12 tournament, they will be a number one seed. Uh, the number one overall seed could certainly be something on the Jayhawks mind. Cause you have some more control over which region you get sent to and things like that. Uh, but I don't know that it really matters for Kansas. I think that, you know, obviously the defending national champs trying to repeat for the first time since the Billy Donovan Florida years. But I, I saw this stat and I, I think that it's, it's pretty telling 15 quad one wins for Kansas no one else uh, currently as a projected as a number one seed has more than nine quad one wins. Uh, Kansas wow. has already clinched the regular season title in the Big 12. Um, and uh, it's a conference that has 90 percent of its teams in the top 50 of the net. So basically the point I'm making here, you might say, well, why are you fitting them? Like, I think they've kind of proved everything they can possibly prove here. And Texas, on the other hand, you know, I'd be curious what you think about administratively what they might do after the season. Do they open up a national search or do they stick with Rodney Terry amidst all the, you know, earlier in the season, the Chris Beard stuff. I mean, Terry certainly has kind of kept them in that top 10 area where they were at the beginning of the season. So if they wanted to retain him, uh, I would get it, but what better way for him to kind of make one last statement than to win this game. So, uh, you know, I, I question where Kansas is at motivationally here. And it, it should obviously be a rockin' Moody Center in Austin. So I'll lay the number with the Longhorns. Yeah, for sure. And they got the revenge spot as well after losing the road to them by eight earlier this season. And Texas, the last two games, both of them happened to be on the road. Both of them happened to be against top-ranked uh, teams. Uh, they lost to Baylor by nine on the road. Then they lost a tough one to TCU on the road by two. Um, and I think this is just a spot where they can get it done at home. Um, the fact that they're actually favored in this one. I, w- I was curious to how this was going to come out. I thought maybe Kansas would come out as a slight favorite in it, but I think that the oddsmakers are kind of thinking the same way you are, Greg, that like what else does Kansas have to prove? Um, it would be nice for them, I guess, to continue this win streak right into the conference tournament. But if they lose this game, like, does it really matter? You know, I mean, they're going to get one of the top seeds in the conference tournament. They're probably going to be in the conference championship um, and potentially be a one seed, like you mentioned, uh, come the big dance. And I just don't, I don't see it here. Like I just don't see Kansas 
really, really getting up for this game. I think Texas will be up for this game tremendously. Um, and just to jump on to what you were saying with the Chris Beard stuff and all, if Texas, what are they? Are they ranked ninth right now? They're ranked ninth. They're top ten team in the country, yeah, right? Like, and granted, they have plenty of talent. That before the season, we're thinking they're top ten, if not top five team in the country. Yeah. Um, but to be able to deal with all this turnover and everything, it's just a credit to the whole entire coaching staff. So I think they would have to retain them. I, I wouldn't be surprised in the national search because they're Texas. But um, personally, I think it would be a mistake to to move on from the coaching staff they have in place right now. But yeah, either way, sure we're back in a lot more. Sure, it could be something where they're putting feelers out and saying, hey, Jay Wright, do you sure. want to come out of retirement? Or, you know, hey, Mark, <laughs> Are you interested, like making calls to agents and just seeing if there's interest before they decide to launch a full search? Yeah, I can totally say it. Yeah. All right, my man. Good to reconnect again. He's Bill Christie at Larry's Locks 2 on Gambling Twitter. I'm Greg Frank at Undercover Greg. Follow the podcast as well at, at full underscore slate underscore pod. Our buddy Alex Uplinger does a good job managing that account. Bill, it's good to link up again. And uh, as you said, it's uh, – I would say it's the most wonderful time of year. Some people reserve that for Christmas. I love the holiday season too. So it's kind of holiday season 2.0 here, right? (laughs) Absolutely. It's the best time of year for sure. All right, Bill, good to link up. We'll talk again soon. All right. Take care. All right. Again, I gave you the Twitter handles to follow us all. This has been Full Slate, a Blue Wire Gambling Podcast. Enjoy the entire card tomorrow, final Saturday of the regular season for all the high major conferences in college hoops. He's Bill Christie. I'm Greg Frank. Talk to you guys soon. This has been Full Slate, a Blue Wire gambling podcast. And, of course, please play responsibly.